Hey, it's a joy for me today to introduce uh, the pastor of our church plant out in Caledonia, New Ground Church. His name is Mike Lampson. Mike, come on up. Uh, Fifth Church planted New Ground Church almost six years ago now, and Mike's been part of the team not even yet a year. Uh, you started April? May 1st. May yeah. 1st, yeah. Yep. So uh, we, we landed a good one. <laughs> when the search team found Mike, it was just tremendous. From, from the day I met him, I thought, this is the ex- exactly the perfect guy for this job. No pressure at all. Uh, but really, he, he has done an extraordinary work in the first few months, including building a whole ton of relational equity with the congregation there, leading the church through a visioning process that's really starting to get some traction and bear some fruit. So uh, would you take a moment and, and welcome Mike with me? Welcome, brother. It's good to have you here. Appreciate it. <laughs> so I thought I'd give you some new ground flavor today. Is that all right? That's part of it. I ask for feedback a lot, so it's okay to say amen or respond, those kinds of things. Uh, there is one thing that is not new ground, and that's what I'm wearing. So uh, when I first uh, candidated at Newground, uh, I remember I went to an event, and somebody came up to me and said, what's up with the USC? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm thinking like California, Southern California. He, knows, he says, no, unnecessary sports coat. <laughs> I said, Okay. You know, I didn't know what to expect. So even this morning, I was not going to wear this, and my wife is insistent. Uh, She would be here, but she's working the nursery. But she said, hey, you need to wear your sport coat. (sighs) Okay, fine. You know, I'll wear the sport coat. But I think it's because my shirt was wrinkled in the back. So anyway, it's very functional. But um, (laughs) anyway, I'm really excited to be here. This has been kind of nine months in the making. Uh, I I meet with John quite frequently. He's been tremendous wisdom uh, in my journey as I'm uh, trying to figure out this role as a lead pastor. Uh, just to kind of give you some intro, uh, I've been married 21 years to Julia. We have a daughter, Grace, who's about to graduate from high school, which is really crazy that I'm really that old. But, um, and uh, I, I was a youth pastor for over 20 years before I got into this role. It's a whole long story that I'd love to tell you another time, but um, the fact that I'm even at Newground is a miracle. I didn't even think I could ever have the chops to do a job like this. And every day I'm still asking, why am I here again? Um, but uh, at the same time, I'm also very excited because I think that's part of uh, how God's calling works. Uh, a lot of people who are submitted to God's calling says, why me? Why are you choosing me of all people? And time and time again, I see what God's doing. In fact, uh, coming up this March, on March 3rd, we're having a visioning Sunday. John kind of mentioned about uh, kind of the vision that's been unfolding. And literally, we did not plan this, but it happens to be the anniversary of Newgrounds founding. So like, like March 3rd, six years ago, uh, it will be our anniversary, and we're unveiling this new vision for the next 20 years, and it's going to be pretty sweet. So didn't even plan that. It was cool. It was wonderful. Uh, so yeah, it's great. Uh, some other things about me I'll tell you about uh, more uh, uh, as we go through the teaching a little bit. Uh, so I'll just say this so that some of you can walk out if you need to. I am an Ohio State Buckeye fan, so I don't know if that's going to... Yeah. I thought we'd, we'd start putting up the walls right now the, to, to go on and so forth. So, um, yeah, but really excited to get into the teaching. And then John gives you this text. Like, let's let somebody else do that text this morning. Sure. So I'll, I'll be the one and done. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. But let's hear this wonderful text out of the book of Ephesians. You've been in Ephesians, uh, and this is a doozy of a text, but really excited this morning to hear uh, how God is going to reveal this in our hearts this morning. 
Our scripture this morning is Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. If you would like to follow along in your pew Bibles, it's on page 947. Hear these words from the book that we love. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you no longer are foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jordan. Can we pray? God, I ask that my words be your words. And may our hearts be soft soil to receive the word. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. So if you've been around long enough uh, with this series from the beginning... Paul has spent the majority of the first chapter, and we kind of delved into the second chapter a little last week, about all these blessings that we have. Basically saying, God's like, look, you have all these resources to be the church. I've given you everything. And Paul wants to remind the church of that. And then he, he tackles some, some things we need to wrestle with in chapter two, which is probably one of the most popular texts in scripture, at least one that I remember, uh, well, basically being shoved down my throat early on my Christian journey. And it's a good one. He's like, look, all of you, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. So all those moments where you sit there and say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. And Paul's like, nope, you're not. There's nothing you can do about that. And in verse four, two of my favorite words in all of scripture, but God. Can I get an amen on that? Because man, we need that. But God. Love those words. And I love those words for Paul. But God, because of his rich mercy, cared too much for us to let us stay dead in our trespasses and sins. And so we're saved by God's grace, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. This is not of ourselves. There's nothing you can do about it. You're not trying to earn this. This is completely a gift of God because we're dead. 
We need his help. It's a very good thing. And I love, man, I, I love what Pastor John said last week about God's wrath. I, mean, I think God's wrath gets a bad rap. Because here's the thing about God. God, the last thing he ever wants for us is for us to be destroyed. And of course, you want God to hate evil. You want him to because all evil does and all sin does is destroy us. I would want God to hate that. I, I would want somebody to care enough to say, no, I don't want that for you. So of course he hates evil. Now we call that God's wrath. Now, instead of like this vindictive, like child abusing dad or something like that, which, which some people think wrath really is because that's the example they get. No, God's wrath is like, I hate anything that destroys my creation. That's really good news, friends, especially for me. I need to hear that. But God, because he's so rich in mercy. And then Paul, at the end of the text of verse 10, like says, hey, now, because of this fact, we live our lives as a response of gratitude to do these good works, not because we're trying to earn it, we'll talk about more of that today, but because of God's grace. Our life is literally a response of gratitude because of the but God. That's where we've been so far. And now, Paul is gonna go for the jugular. And, and then I get this text today. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, Pastor John. You give me this text. Because Paul's talking about the major issue that the community of people were dealing with at the time. And that was the Jews and the Gentiles. That was the, I mean, it's the thing that all the cable news network pundits will be talking about. It's what the president will be tweeting. It would be everything that's on social media, be all the feeds that you get, everything that would have, if they had that they would be talking about this very thing. This is all the things that would be plastered all over the place. There's all sorts of opinions, all sorts of anger, just like we kind of see today. This is the issue that they're dealing with. So Paul says, and I don't want you to get too carried away with this in your mind. I want you to hang with me. Paul says, you know what? Let's talk about the wall. Can we do that? Okay, that was a joke and you didn't get that. So, okay. But he really is going to talk about the wall. I thought I just, I, I don't know you very well. I'm taking a risk. I put my neck out there. That was a fail. Okay, that's all right. So, but no, seriously, he says, let's talk about the wall. But the wall, it was not the wall we think about right now. There is a dividing wall of hostility that Paul talks about. So I want to show you what he was actually talking about. So the first thing I'm going to show you a picture. I don't know if you can see this. This is Solomon's temple. So this is the first temple that God had actually instituted to his people to build. And I, we're not going to go through all the, the, the knowings of the temple, but I want you to notice that there's really two courts, if you will, two gathering areas. There's an inner court uh, or the upper court and, and the outer court. And pretty much, you know, everyone's welcome at these places. And that's the only courts that exist. And I just, that's the farthest I want to go with this because I want to show you something different because that was not the temple at the time that Paul wrote the Ephesians a letter. It's not the same temple. Um, the temple was actually destroyed. And someone rebuilt it. His name was Herod. You've probably heard of him. He was a king appointed by, Julius C or by Augustus Caesar and he was a ruthless dude. He's the, he's the king that was around the time that Jesus was born. And I spent a whole series at Newground talking about Jesus and the Caesars and Herod. Herod built everything way beyond what it should have been. He was like so lavish with his resources. He would have marble imported from Italy to build all of these palaces. He actually, <laughs> I remember the, the region he was ruling over the Galilee where Jesus kind of grew up, 
He wanted to be high and lifted up to oversee everything that he ruled against. So he, he literally built a mountain from nothing. This is Herod. He built a mountain. The mountain's still around. It's still there today if you go there. It, a literal mountain, so, and he built a palace on top of it so he could oversee everything. And marble, pools, and hot tubs, and a, you know, a time where there's like a 700-year drought. I mean, it was way above and beyond. Well, he did the same with the temple. He built the temple way beyond what it was before, built it differently, and this is what he built. So what I want to show you is if you look on the center of the picture, you'll see kind of some buildings inside. That's the main temple part, all right? That's, that was kind of before you saw the bigger picture in Solomon's temple. This is now the main temple. On the outside, so there's the big tall building, and then at, there's a little court right there. You see at the four pillars? That was the court for women. That's the farthest a woman could go to the main part of the temple. That wasn't there before in Solomon's temple. But now, women are kept away at a certain distance. And then you see like kind of this like little wall outside, you see that? Outside the main building, and then there's, a, there's a, a, like a big kind of gathering area around the outside, like from the big walls. That is called the court of the Gentiles. The dividing wall of hostility is the wall separating the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple. Now, that's not what they called it, obviously. That's what Paul calls it. But there's an inscription on this wall, and they've actually found it, archaeological evidence. I'm going to show you. Here's the inscription. It's on the wall. It's in Greek because Herod uh, was in cahoots with the Caesars. So he was very influenced by Greek everything. So this is the inscription they put on the wall, and this is what it says. No foreigner may enter within the railing and enclosure surrounding the temple. Whoever's captured will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. <laughs> Very subtle message <laughs> to you who are Gentiles. By the way, I, I think, I'm assuming most of us are Gentiles. I mean, I, I, there might be someone who's Jewish in here, but most of us are probably Gentiles. That's you. If you walk past that gate, if you step through, they will kill you. And they did. They warned you. All right, they warned you right there. That wall was not in the original design of the temple. That was something that Herod put up, and the Jews accepted hook, line, and sinker. There's a court for women. There's a court for the Gentiles. There's these walls that are put up and separated. So Paul gets real with them. Because see, the problem right now at this time is there are a ton of Gentiles coming to Jesus, coming to faith in Jesus, and they don't know what to do with them. It's like, it's like multiplying like rabbits. And they're like, what do we do with all these Gentiles? And they're just kind of growing, but they're really passionate about this Jesus guy. And the Jews are like, you know what? We need to talk to him about a little surgical procedure called circumcision. You know, we, you know, there's this little thing that you need to have done because this is what identified you as a Jew. And all they know is like they're trying to figure out how Jesus works into all the things they've been doing. And so they say, you know, Gentiles, this is what you need to do. And by the way, if you come past this wall, we're going to kill you. So the Jews have all this history, the Mosaic law, the title of the chosen people. And these Gentiles, the base of the rest of the human race, are now going to be included in all this? No, 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 no. You don't, you don't get this, Paul. No, Paul says to the Gentiles first, he goes, hey, listen, it's true. You are foreigners. That's true. 
But now, but God, because of Jesus on the cross, God is making all of us one new humanity. And then he echoes what he said at the beginning of chapter two. You're far off from God. And he came to us. And now he's reconciled us to him. The wall that was between us and God has been destroyed. And he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus on the cross. And now Paul goes to the jugular because see, here's the thing. The life of salvation is not just about the afterlife. It's also about this life. So if God has reconciled us to him, now it naturally turns, this would be loving your neighbor, right? Reconciling with one another. That's the next task. And that's what Paul's talking about. And he just like, let's just talk about the wall for a second. Let's talk about the thing that everyone's talking about. And then he really blows their minds. He says to the Gentiles in verse 19, you're no longer foreigners or strangers, but now you're citizens of the household of God. Okay, that means all the rights, all the blessings, basically you are exactly like the family, like the Jews. That's all good now because of what Jesus is on the cross. You're basically adopted in. And there's lots of other scripture in the New Testament that talks about this, but you're part of the family now. And the Jews who are like, wait a minute, we're the chosen people. We're the ones that are supposed to be high and lifted up and, and, and being a light to the Gentiles, whatever they thought that meant. And Paul's like, man, you, you just don't get it, do you? This isn't a new thing that Paul's even promoting either. He says, listen, Jesus is the cornerstone and there's a new humanity and there's a new temple. This has been hinted at, we'll talk about it in a second. So, All this time, there's a temple that's a building. Solomon's temple, the rebuilt temple from Herod. And Paul says to them, these are my words, this is the translation of the scripture. We'll just say Mike Lampson version. The temple has left the building. The temple has left the building. This has got to be blowing the minds of the people listening to this letter. What are you talking about? It means this, the church, and it was true, was the first multi-ethnic, multi-racial, equal community on the planet Earth. And people couldn't understand it. Anybody from any culture, what are these people doing? Women fully embraced. People who are not like Jews, fully embraced. I mean, this is the story of the first community. You're here because of their courage, because of what they decided to to live into, this calling. Paul says in Galatians chapter three, he says, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. I mean, those are the three major deals that they're, they're wrestling with back then. We're all one in Christ. that's a heavy call, but they did it. And this is a challenge to some of those people who are still putting up walls because that wall of hostility was not ordained by God. It was put up by humans. I just want you to remember that because we still do this today. And it's not a new story of the Bible to them. Some people, the Jews are like, wait a minute, when did the Gentiles get included? How did that even work? 
all throughout the scripture, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, God's been like hinting at this. They just chose to ignore it. Deuteronomy talks about them being a society of justice and truth to be a light to the Gentiles, meaning to be a blessing to them. Basically, it's like this. Look, no, my chosen people are supposed to be a community that lives in such a way that it, other people are compelled to say, what is that all about? And be attracted to me, says God. That's the reason they're blessed. Not so they can be the chosen ones and lord it over people. And that's where the Israelites missed the mark, and I think that's where we missed the mark too. See, they thought their identity was something to be achieved and not received. And it happens with every human being on planet Earth because we are all broken. Our identity is tied to what we achieve and not receive. I love what Tim Keller says about this. This is what we do. We take the greatest things about ourselves and become so proud of them and use them to bolster our sense of self-esteem and how we do that is despising anybody who doesn't have what we have. Whew, that's a doozy. So give you an example. People don't pursue just being rich. They don't care about being rich. They care about being richer than someone else. They don't care about being smart or beautiful or gifted just as long as they're smarter and more beautiful and more gifted than someone else. That's what he's talking about. Our identity is wrapped up in taking our differences and making them superior to someone else's and saying that we're better because of this. Let me give you another example. I, uh, a couple of years ago in my last church, we had a partnership that we created uh, when we were created, just kind of discovered with a church in Mexico. Um, and I, <laughs> I had grown very discontent with short-term missions for youth ministry. I hated going to a place and never going back. I thought that was dumb. I was like, why, we, why don't we do that? It just feels very self-serving. Like, who are we really serving? And I just, so we, we changed our, I, I didn't exactly mean to do this, but changed the whole mission philosophy of our church. I just said, hey, can we, can we like admit that we don't have everything there is to know about mission? I mean, can we actually like admit that like mostly white American church here that I was in like doesn't really have it all together? We, maybe we need to learn from someone else. This church in Mexico is like busting out the seams. It's like, we need to find out what they're doing. So we changed our, even our language from mission trip to learning trip. We didn't call it mission trip because whose mission is it? Our mission is like, we need to learn from you. And so we started this relationship. And there's a, there's a book that we walked through, and maybe you've kind of walked through it here, I don't know, called Foreign to Familiar. You should read it. It's really good. It's really simple, small. Uh, it's a great book. And what it did was talk about the difference between cold climate and hot climate cultures. We're a cold climate culture, very much so right now. Uh, <laughs> Mexico is a hot climate culture. But one of the interesting differences about that, and there's many, is their sense of time. Like, we care about being on time. I can't tell you how many times at this place this week that I was told about time, how long my sermon should be, what time I should get here. Like, more than anything else, it was that. You better be on time. You better make sure you're within this time frame. <laughs> People in Mexico don't care about that. In fact, I remember like we had this meeting at like 6.30 and people just started to show up at 6.30 and we kind of got rolling by 7.30. But it's not a big deal. They just don't care about that. But yet, 
I've heard a lot of Americans in our hearts, and mine included, long ago and even maybe short ago, like, oh my gosh, it drives me nuts. Why can't they be on time? Because they don't care about time. And why do I think that my view of being on time is better than what they think? Because that's what I was doing. That's a wall. See, the thing about walls is that you, you have to have a lot of humility to admit that you've built a wall. Some of you are not even where you built one. You know, but we talk about, I mean, and I'm technically half white. That doesn't matter. People look at me, I'm white. People talk about white privilege and <laughs> some people just deny it. Like, that doesn't exist. I'm like, man, he, oh. I'm going to pause that for a second and talk about that at the end. We like to make our identity about competition by being superior with our differences. We like to use the word them a lot, or those people. And see, the gospel destroys the wall of hostility. That's what it says in Ephesians. Jesus has destroyed it. Not just taking a, brick, taking a little brick out. He's destroyed it because of what he's done on the cross. And now, just because he's destroyed the wall doesn't mean you get a free pass. It's like, no, you're supposed to be the people that show the world what I'm like. Your identity is completely different now. It's not, it's not achieved, it's received. It has nothing to do with all the good things that you can do. In fact, I mean, to all non-religious or religious people, you can say, I'm a good person. I mean, my friends do this. I'm a good person, I didn't kill anybody. I mean, and I think that's pretty shaky ground, even if that's you this morning, <laughs> because you're not perfect. I mean, you may think you are, but you're not. The scriptures testify that you're not perfect. So how do you actually know what's good? If you're not perfect, that's a pretty shaky ground to say, I know what's good because, well, I, well okay, how does that work? That's the thing. The, the garden, way back when in Genesis, was the, tree, the fruit that they ate from, the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Not just evil, good and evil. The sin was, we actually know what's good. And God's like, oh, I know you're going to totally distort this. And for those of you that may have a Christian memory, you've been in church all your life, it's saying things like, I'm a good person, I'm saved. You know, I, I'm kind of in. I'm thinking and saying and doing the things that, that are right. It's almost like the Pharisee says in Luke chapter 18. He says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Because we never said that before, right? That's only for Bible times. Thank you I'm not like other people. And he says, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, even this tax collector over here, which is like one of the most repulsive professions to a Jew. Now, maybe you don't say those names. But maybe you say things like, oh man, thank God I'm not a Trump supporter or that I'm a flaming liberal or a person that supports the wall or a person who's pro-choice or pro-life or an Ohio State Buckeye fan. <laughs> you see what that is? You're building the very things the Jews did for the Gentiles, which is a human-made dividing wall of hostility. Paul issues a sobering reminder that Christ's death on the cross destroys the wall and thus there's this new humanity emerging forth which Paul says, 
man, this is crazy. Is the temple of God to be a living body of reconciliation? The temple has left the building. Like crazy stuff. Now what this doesn't mean is you discard your heritage. There's tons of talk about diversity. I think that's a good thing, actually. I think people should be proud of their heritage. But Paul says here that all of that, as a follower of Jesus, should always be submitted under the cross. It doesn't mean you don't appreciate your heritage. It means you submit it first to Jesus. That's what it means first. Are you doing that? What does that actually look like? What that means is you don't look down on anyone for any reason, because of their race, because of their political views, because of their gender, because of their socioeconomic status, because of their work ethic, because of their sexual orientation, their sports team, their customs. Because if you do that, then you don't really understand the cross, Paul says. You don't understand salvation. You don't understand what reconciliation is doing. You haven't embraced the way of Jesus, Paul says. And so what this means for us is that we have to be proactive with people who are very different than us. Proactive, not reactive, proactive. It's easy for us to talk about issues, isn't it? But here's my philosophy. Issues are different when issues have a name. So the first question that we ask ourselves in this process of how do we become this reconciled community Who do you actually know? Do you actually have a relationship with someone who's vastly different than you? Because see, the call to the church, we are supposed to be the leaders of peacemaking and reconciliation on the planet. And that is not the message that's happening right now. But that's the call. The first Christian community, that's what they did. And it changed the world, and you're here because of it. To cross socioeconomic lines, to cross racial lines, gender lines, breaking down the wall of hostility, to embrace that our identity is received by God and not achieved. I mean, how many of you are friends with people very different than you? I mean, not, not just, I'm not talking acquaintances, I'm talking friends. Friends. I mean, as an Ohio State Buckeye fan, I have a lot of Michigan heathen friends, okay? (laughs) No, but but seriously, I mean, do you? I mean, the current posture, I see some of my Christian brothers and sisters talk about the wall, the wall that they're talking about right now, about refugees, about my LGBTQ friends, about other Christians who don't line up with the political views they um, espouse. It's just sad. It's, 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 It's just kills me inside. It makes me angry too. But in the text, Paul doesn't single out the Jews. He says, no, both of you do this. I do this too. I do the same thing. I put up a wall hostility to those I think are not loving, for those who think Jesus is a Republican or a Democrat who vilify me for particular views that I hold, whatever they think that means, and they're all different. And they say, well, you're not really a Christian. And if we're really gonna start taking the first step of being a reconciled community and and, and really a community that is proactive in that, 
the first two words that should come out of our mouth is forgive me. That's how you start. And it takes some humility, right? And it takes you admitting that you've built walls. Some of you need to be aware of what those walls even are. But the first two words should be forgive me. Forgive me for putting up these walls because God just tore them down and I'm putting them back up again. But God still tears them down. It doesn't mean that the church isn't doing these things. There, there are many stories, and I even heard some today. Some of those things where those walls are being broken down. It's awesome. We need to be crying out, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. That's why I love Reformed theology so much. They got that down pretty well. I love what Mir- Miroslav Volf says in his book, Exclusion and Embrace. He says there's, um, and this is some things for you to think about as you're kind of, uh, we're going out today. Um, four things, or four ways that we build walls of hostility. Four ways that we're excluding others. He says the first one is we decimate. We either literally kill people, that's definitely in our history, or we drive out those that are different than us. We definitely do that. We find ways to do that. Or we manipulate things to make people, make it a lot easier for people to be pushed away. Or we assimilate. We say, look, we're not gonna accept you into our community until we become exactly like us. So whatever the views you think a Christian should have, whatever. You just say, if you're not exactly like us, then you don't belong. He says we subjugate. You can't have these jobs, you can't um, have these schools or these rights. I mean, the story of the suburbs (laughs) is a story of racism. I don't know if you know that. It's all around us, all these walls that get put up. And what do we do to like enter into those conversations instead of just continuing on? Because I think the fourth one we like to do a lot, which is ignore. We just don't care about their needs or engage them. Okay, I don't want you to take this the wrong way that I think you're doing all this bad. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this is the call to the church in Ephesians 2. It's like you put up all these walls and Paul's like, man, they're all, Jesus has destroyed them all. And this community, the new temple's being built up to show the world what a reconciled community looks like. And the challenge is to us, what are you doing to be proactive in being that? Because reconciliation begins with admitting our part in building the wall. And Paul's been arguing from the very beginning of the book. We have all the resources to do this. God has given it to us. Our identity is received. He's given it to us to live in a new way of being human with this wall of hostility, the identity barrier really. It's been destroyed. You don't have to live by performance anymore. You don't have to live by differences anymore. It's, God has like put it all together. Now live like it, he says. Because see, listen, I, and I think you believe this. We need the temple of God in this world. Don't we? Can I hear an amen? We do. And Paul says, we are the temple. The church is not in a building. It's you. The community of believers in Jesus and you are to be the agents of peacemaking and reconciliation. 
When anybody thinks about that in our world, the first thing that should pop in their minds, according to the call of God, is the church. And there's stories of pockets where those things are happening and the challenges to us are, will we rise up to live into that calling? Because apparently, God, some, for some reason, believes in you to do that. Let's pray. God, help us to have the humility to admit the walls that we build. And God, I, even today I pray that if there's walls that we're not even aware of, God, will you, it's hard, hard to say this, but will you reveal those to us and recognize that you've destroyed them? God, help us to have a posture of reconciliation, to admit our part in building the wall, to say forgive us, to have mercy on me, God, and to develop deep relationships with others, not for an agenda, but because this is who you called us to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen.